the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt. Welcome to the interview with Hugh Hewitt, sponsored by AndrewandTodd.com. Andrew and Todd are with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. They help you with all your real estate lending needs. If you're refinancing your home, if you're buying a new home, if you're a senior who wants a reverse mortgage, if you're a veteran who doesn't want to put any money down, whatever it is, if you're in the private real estate market for yourself, and maybe you want an investment property, try AndrewandTodd.com or call 888 Now on to the interview with Hugh Hewitt. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt on a very important day in the history of the Constitution, constitutional law. In a matter of hours, litigants will take their place before the United States Supreme Court in the case of Dobbs. And they will be arguing whether or not Roe v. Wade and uh, Casey versus Planned Parenthood ought to be overturned. I'm joined by Princeton Professor Robbie George, the McCormick Professor of Jurisprudence at Princeton, and Dr. Ryan Anderson, head of the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C. Both are expert on the issues of abortion and the Constitution. Welcome, gentlemen. I'd like to ask you both at the beginning, if you were the first to speak on behalf of the state of Mississippi, and you had your first 30 seconds to a minute to open the argument, Professor George, welcome. How would you begin your argument? I would begin the argument, Hugh, thanks for having me on the show. I would begin the argument by pointing out that nothing in the text or structure or logic or historical understanding supports the idea of a constitutional right to abortion. The right, rather, was simply manufactured out of whole cloth by the Supreme Court in 1973. It was a grievous uh, mistake, an abuse of constitutional authority, a usurpation by the judiciary of the authority vested by the Constitution and the people and their elected representatives, a stain on the conscience of the court, and should therefore be reversed. Ryan Anderson, how would you begin your argument? I would say everything Robbie just said, and then I would say that this wasn't just about some insignificant matter of law or legal doctrine, uh, the consequence of the court getting this constitutional question wrong 49 years ago has been a violation of basic justice and human rights. Millions of Americans have been unjustly killed as a result of this uh, unconstitutional decision from the Supreme Court. And so any of the stare decisis concerns um, need to be you know, significantly outweighed by basic considerations of justice here. They got the case wrong in Roe. They got it wrong again in Casey. And as a result, we've had a huge injustice, a huge violation of human rights. Lives have been lost. And it's incumbent upon them to get it right now. I would begin you, by uh, arguing by decisis, that uh, by story yes, uh, decisis concerns, uh, Ryan means uh, the theory of precedent, the idea that even if a case was wrongly decided, uh, it has precedential force and therefore should only be overturned or reversed uh, for very good reasons. And Ryan was pointing out some of the very good reasons why the doctrine of stare decisis should not stay the hand of the court here in, uh, in uh, getting the Constitution right and overturning Roe versus Wade. 
I would begin with that. Actually, uh, Professor George, I would begin by saying stare decisis should not stay your hand. You took a wrong turn 50 years ago. You're deep in the wilderness, carving new roads out, distorting constitutional law every day because of a mistake. And I would cite the chief justice's concurrence in Citizens United. How do you, Ryan Anderson, get around the stare decisis argument that this has been law for 50 years in the United States? Well, I think you point exactly to that Citizen United concurrence. Um, right there, I mean, the Chief Justice laid out um, you know, a series of arguments about the difference between judicial restraint and judicial abdication. You know, that's a direct quote from him. And he says, look, this isn't something that we can now be um, relied on because this hasn't been um, accepted by the American people. Uh, there's no issue in American constitutional law less settled than the question of abortion. There's a reason why hundreds of thousands of people come to the nation's capital every January in the freezing cold and march for life, because we know that the court got, got this wrong. And so the idea that we're going to, uh, in order to um, uphold uniformity of the law or, you know, a, um, uh, an expectation of stability of the law, we're going to uphold a wrongly decided case that has never been accepted by the American people, um, strikes me as a, a false application of stare decisis, a false deference to precedent. Uh, Professor George, uh, listeners need to understand that uh, there's nothing unusual about uh, the court reversing itself. It's happened more than 200 times in the history of the uh, United States Supreme Court. And sometimes cases of very long standing have been reversed. A good example is Plessy against Ferguson, the the notorious ignominious case in which the court entirely wrongly upheld racial discrimination, uh, despite the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. But that decision took 60 years uh, to reverse. So there's nothing novel or uh, radical about uh, reversing a bad decision, even after decades. So let me let me stay with you for a moment, Professor George. Uh, You've been teaching con law longer than I have, but I teach law students who have to pass a bar. You teach undergraduates for whom getting it right is actually more important than knowing the law. What will be the reaction among your undergrads if Roe and Casey are overturned? Will there be rebellion where there'll be revolution because the proponents of Roe and Casey are predicting doom if they are overturned? No, that's not going to happen. Obviously, the decision will be controversial, as the original decision in Roe against Wade was uh, controversial. Uh, It will be more unpopular in some parts of the nation, less unpopular in others. In some places, it will be popular. The nation is divided. Young people are divided over the question of abortion and the sanctity of human life, the rights of the child in the in the womb. So uh, this is not anything that uh, we should concerned about. Be concerned about the. Uh, There being violence in the streets or a revolution, that's not going to happen. Ryan Anderson, if you were standing there, Justice Sotomayor, Justice Breyer or Justice Kagan would say, what about those women who rely and have been known to rely upon the law that allows for abortion providers to provide that service? Will they not be definitely injured by the fact that they have relied on the availability of abortion but no longer can I think my response there is that we have failed those women um, as a political community. Um, If you need to rely on abortion in order to flourish in our community, that's a sign that we have uh, failed you, that we have not created a hospitable political environment, social environment, cultural environment in which both women and their babies can flourish. Uh, And so this is a huge opportunity. I I think overruling Roe, overruling Casey is just the beginning of the pro-life movement to then enact public policies and cultural programs that will support both uh, women facing unplanned pregnancies and the children 
uh, both of whom matter. Right? And so I actually think this is a huge opportunity for the pro-life movement to do what it's always been doing. Right? The media never covers the crisis pregnancy centers, the various support networks that already exist. This is a chance for pro-lifers uh, to really highlight all of that work. And that would be my response, to say that, look, abortion is a failure for women. It's not something they should be relying on. Professor George, is there a better response possibly in saying that if you issue a shape-shifting of the constitutional law decision, it would not be extraordinary for you to delay its uh, effectiveness by three to six months? Oh, I mean, of course, it's within the court's authority uh, to do that. Um, but I don't think the court will do that. And I don't think that the court should do that. Uh, remember, when Roe versus Wade is reversed, as I very much hope it will be and trust it will be, when it's reversed, that will not mean that abortion is suddenly illegal. Uh, it will mean that the question of abortion is back to where it historically was before Roe versus Wade. That is in the hands of the legislatures, especially the state uh, legislatures. Uh, and uh, some legislatures, I think, will move uh, quickly uh, to restrict or prohibit elective abortions. That is abortions where there's no threat to the life or health of the mother. Uh, and other states, New York, uh, out there in California, where you are, um, Massachusetts, the other New England states, uh, will basically retain the regime of Roe versus Wade, but now not under constitutional mandate, rather by legislative action. Professor George, I'm actually in the beltway now, but the, the response that my friend Ruth Marcus would make is that there are on the books in many states springing statutes, statutes that will spring into operation if Roe and Casey are um, uh, reversed, that will immediately, upon the reversal, spring into existence, barring abortion immediately. That is actually a good argument about people who have relied upon laws that exist. To what do you say to those statutes if Kagan come, Justice Kagan comes up with a specific statutory reference? Well, I mean, if, you, if they're springing statutes and the laws come into existence, the laws come into existence. They come into existence precisely because uh, Roe versus Wade was wrongly decided and the court decides to return the issue to the legislatures. That means that legislation that's on the books uh, will now be validly enforced. Uh, Ryan, would that be your response? Yeah, I mean, I, I think what we're going to see is we're going to see about, I think, I forget the exact number. I think it's about 15 states that have those types of trigger laws that if Roe's Rose overturned pro-life laws go into effect. There are about 15 other states that have pro-choice laws that, are, that will be in effect. And then we're going to see about 20 laws where we're going to need legislation and they're going to be political battles. And I just think that, um, unfortunately, that's the way it has to be. Um, m my preference here would actually be that in the long run, uh, we recognize that uh, the unborn are persons under the 14th Amendment. Um, but I don't think that's going to happen in this case. Uh, and so that's not before the court. Of laws. Right. That's, that's not, not before the court. Not uh, in this case. No, this is, they didn't ask that question. Um, but I do think eventually what justice requires is that we protect unborn children in all 50 states. Uh, and so this will be a first step. But that's where we need to get to. After the break, I'm going to ask you for your predictions about the outcome on the merits. But, Professor George, how quickly do you think the court will move, not should move, but will move to a decision in Dobbs? Uh, I think it's likely that it will uh, not be handed down until uh, well into the spring, perhaps even as late as uh, mid to late June. Of course, uh, there's nothing that uh, requires the court to wait that long. It could hand down a decision as early as February or March. But I'd be surprised if that happened. I'm expecting it in June. 
Ryan, we're about to go to the break, but I'd like your answer on that expectation on timing and then what you think is the best argument from the opponents of reversing Roe and Casey. I think the timing, this is likely going to be handed down in the last day of the term, right? So we're looking the very last week of June uh, would be my guess. Um, I think the, the, the pro-choice side of this, all they can say is stare decisis and reliance interest because no one seriously supports the idea that Roe got the constitutional law correct. And so at this point, all they can point to is precedent and reliance. And then use threats that if you overturn Roe, there'll be a civil war, there'll be rioting. And as Robbie already mentioned, I I think those are empty threats. We're not going to see that sort of unrest from this. That is, in fact, the triple crown of their arguments. Reliance and um, harm to people who have relied upon it. The fact that stare decisis and the threat to the court. We'll come back after the break and talk about the good that would come from a rapid, and I believe actually we might get a fairly rapid decision, not last day of court decision, when I come back. Don't go anywhere, America. Professor Robbie George is the uh, McCormick Professor of Jurisprudence at Princeton, one of the preeminent public intellectuals in America, as is Ryan Anderson. Dr. Ryan Anderson is the president of the Ethics and Public Policy Center, and he is based in Washington, as Professor George is based in Princeton. They're going to be right back. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. I'm joined by Professor Robert George of Princeton, Dr. Ryan Anderson of the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C. Gentlemen, I know for a fact that at least two of the nine listen to this show every day. And sometimes they miss, I can say, almost every day. Uh, What would you say to them about the outcome on the conservative cause for the court? The crisis that I think will occur if on this second setup, as Casey was a setup, that Roe B. reversed, the court fails to do so. Uh, Professor George. Well, if the court fails to do so, uh, I think it means the continuing corruption of our constitutional law. It will cast doubt on the efforts now more than 50 years going uh, of conservatives and especially constitutionalists really across the board uh, to bring the courts back into line with constitutional principle. It will mean the conservative movement failed in its effort to restore um, true constitutionalism uh, to our to our courts. Uh, I think the loss of faith in the judiciary uh, by uh, people across the spectrum uh, will be profound. There will be a terrible price to pay if the court once again fails to do justice to the Constitution to, uh, to uphold the rule of law. Dr. Anderson, if they fail in their job again, they being collectively the court, Will conservatives bother to defend it against the attacks from the left that would pack it and otherwise distort it? I think if they if they fail to overturn Roe, I think we're likely to see a um, a civil war on the right. Uh, metaphorical, of course, but I mean, I think you're you're likely to see a further fissure of those who have been um, frustrated with the conservative legal movement, those who have been accusing Fed stock of not caring enough about social issues. Um, I think if the court fails to overturn Roe, um, we're going to see a huge split on the right. And I think that would be tragic, right? I think so. so I, I, um, I want Roe overturned because I think it's the right constitutional decision. I want Roe overturned because um, I think it will do justice to the unborn. It will allow us to protect them. Um, but I also think it will be good for the right. Uh, I think otherwise we're going to see a splittering on the right that isn't going to lead to our long-term flourishing as a political movement. 
I also believe no one will ever believe another judicial nominee again. Uh, let me close by talking about the good that comes from the reversal of Roe and Casey. And I'll start with you, uh, Ryan Anderson. What is the essential good? I see two, but what do you see from the court having the courage to change what is obviously wrong and corrosive? So, so I, I'll mention three real quickly. The first is that it will allow uh, citizens and our elected representatives uh, to pass laws to protect unborn babies. To my mind, that is the first uh, positive outcome of a decision overturning Roe. Uh, second is that it would actually get the Constitution right. It would get constitutional law right. It would restore credibility to the court by acknowledging that it made a mistake and it had the courage to correct its mistake. It would, it would actually respect constitutional self-government. And then lastly, I think it would actually improve our judicial politics. I think confirmation hearings in the future would not be nearly as contested. Every one of the justices who's likely to cast a vote to overturn Roe went through hell during their confirmation hearing because the left was uh, suspicious that they would be uh, against Roe v. Wade. If we can finally clear the air of this and no longer have to announce platitudes about um, Roe being good law, et cetera, et cetera, we can actually have a healthier nomination confirmation process. So, so I, I see all three of those things uh, as wins if the court does the right thing on this. Professor Robbie George, what would you add to that or emphasize of that? I would say that above all, a correct decision overturning Roe versus Wade would restore the integrity of our constitutional law. Whether you are pro-life, as the three of us on this call are, or pro-choice, you should understand that uh, the Supreme Court disgraced itself by reading into the Constitution something that wasn't there, a right to abortion that's nowhere to be found in the text or logic or structure or historical understanding of the document. It was a pure imposition by the court and a usurpation by the court of the legislative authority of the people, the right of the people to make laws under the Constitution. That's got to be set right. Again, whether you're pro-choice or pro-life, you should understand that that's got to be set right. When Roe was handed down, even pro-choice constitutional scholars like the late John Hart Ely, then a professor at Harvard, later a professor, uh, dean of Stanford Law School, said that Roe versus Wade not only uh, isn't law, it doesn't even show any effort to try to be constitutional law. He was right about that, and he was right despite himself being personally pro-choice and, per, and, and preferring as a matter of public policy the kind of regime of abortion law that Roe put into place. That's a reminder to us that at the constitutional level, what's most fundamentally wrong with Roe is that it usurps the authority uh, of the legislative uh, process, of the elected representatives of the people, and steals it and puts it in the hands of judges. And that's just constitutional corruption. Succinct summary, gentlemen. I believe it will be a 6-3 decision overturning Roe and Casey. What do you think, Professor George? 6-3. Uh, Ryan Anderson? We have uh, a unanimous ruling on this one. I think it's going to be 6-3. Oh, God bless you both. And thank you. You two have been working in these vineyards for decades. And it's important. It's, it's grace-filled. And I appreciate the steady resolve and the cultural courage it took to stand tall, as both of you have, over so long on behalf of the unborn. And Mo, and, and, and so people understand, on behalf of the Constitution as it ought to be understood, as it was written. Thank you, Professor Robert George, Dr. Ryan Anderson. I'll be back tomorrow, America, on the next Hugh Hewitt Show.
That concludes today's episode of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Make sure you come back and check out all the other podcasts on the Salem Podcast Network. And remember to thank our sponsors, andrewandtodd.com. If you believe in long-form interviews like I do, then do your real estate transactions with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian. I've known both men for a long time. andrewandtodd.com. Go there, answer a couple of questions. They'll tell you what's best to do with your house or call them at 888-888-1172. You'll be glad you did and you'll be glad that you listened to the next episode of The Interview. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.